Hello, welcome to the edited version of Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. If you'd like to hear the full version of this conversation, then you can go to cosmicshambles.com slash bookshambles and become one of our Patreon supporters, uh, which you can do for as little as $1 an episode. That's one US dollar, and obviously it will depend on which of our economies is declining more, uh, how much that actually works out in pounds, uh, euros, etc. Hello, a quick advert before the show. My book, I'm a Joke and So Are You, is out now in bookshops and also I will be touring around the UK. In fact, I am touring around the UK at the moment every single day until the 17th of December, so I may well be coming to a town near you. Hello, welcome to another episode of Book Shambles. Apologies for my voice this week. I have got a cold. This week's episode was recorded uh, last month at QEDCon in Manchester when our guests were supposed to be Sue Nelson, author of Wally Funk's Race for Space and the legend Wally Funk herself. But unfortunately, uh, due to illness, uh, Wally had to cancel at the last minute, which was obviously very unfortunate. But Dallas Campbell stepped in at the last minute to co-play the roles of both Wally Funk and Josie Long. So we hope you enjoy this episode. A quick reminder that Nine Lessons and Carols for Curious People is coming up. That is four nights of science and music and comedy and poetry at King's Place in London. It's not Christmas without Nine Lessons. Robin hosting all nights. Josie will be performing, Dallas will be performing and we've announced some new guests in the last couple of weeks as well that you might have missed. Uh, Ben Goldacre is going to be there. Joe Neary, Ben Moore, Jen Rogers, Steve Pretty and lots of others. Go to cosmicshambles.com slash nine lessons for tickets and info about that. And as always, we'll be collecting for the Trussell Trust at those events and uh, profits from those shows go to charities. Uh, this year our chosen charities are Mind, uh, the mental health charity, and Two Wheels for Life, who are a great charity I've done some work with in the past who work with doctors in Africa, providing them with uh, motorcycle transport to get out to hard-to-reach villages to make sure that uh, vaccines and medicine and treatment and stuff can get out to villages that cars can't access as easily as a motorcycle can. So we hope to see you at those events. Also, don't forget to review us uh, on iTunes, uh, on Apple Podcasts, five-star reviews and comments. That all really helps us out, helps boost the ranking of the show, gets, uh, gets it out there a little bit more. And if you'd like to support us on Patreon, it's patreon.com slash bookshambles to do that. As little as a dollar a month, you'll get extended episodes of Book Shambles, lots of other goodies as well. Um, we've got some new stuff coming up for Patreon. Uh, we're kind of adjusting that a little bit in the new year as well so make sure you get on board with that and without any further from a very nasal me onto this week's episode well we'll start talking but we won't do a stop problem um, it'll be fine we'll see what happens uh welcome to uh josie robin's book shambles as usual josie long uh has not bothered turning up so today the part of josie long will be played by dallas campbell the uh i was gonna be wally funk no you're not wally funk i'm afraid uh wally uh, as, as you know uh wally I, I don't believe that wally funk can be replaced by anyone i believe that would be such an insult having read uh, Sue's book, Wally Funk's Race for Space, uh, which is a book which gives 
it, it, I mean, she doesn't even leap off the page. She leaps out the page. She runs around the room. She is uh, incredible. <laughs> so we're joined today by um, Sue Nelson. I'm glad. I'm glad Josie's not here actually on this one, does because you work with Ken Campbell and she never did. Um, <laughs> so we might. Yeah. yeah, we might talk about that. But we. we can. You are a space-obsessed uh, individual. Uh, as he was saying yesterday, he was sent by uh, his partner to go to Sainsbury's to buy groceries. Uh, what did you buy instead? I bought, there's a guy called Ryan Nagata who makes replica spacesuits. He doesn't just make replica spacesuits, he makes replica spacesuits for First Man and all the big movies. So I thought I'd, I'd, I'd just bought the Neil Armstrong A7L moon suit. So, so it is exactly like that fast show character. Did you remember to get the peas? Even better. <laughs> I've got a replica Neil Armstrong. Brilliant. Uh, and uh, you will hopefully have read uh, um, his book, which is a, fa a fantastic book uh, and worthy of your attention. But this led to... Sue, we'll start off. Well, actually, this is the first thing I want to say because th this this book comes from uh, various shows that you, you previously made, starting in 1997 um, with uh, Right Stuff, Wrong Sex, um, which is about the Mercury 13, and it is about the uh, the female race for space, which which never ultimately uh, occurred, and is a fascinating. But what I before we get on to any of that, you said that you, know, this, you tried a book, a similar book to this about 10 years ago. Yeah. And at that point, publishers were like, I don't really think that people want to know about women in space or generally. Well, they just said and women's <laughs> history, women's history full stop. They said it doesn't sell. And no what one's do you interested think has in it. Changed? I mean, obviously, for publishing, it's because they know they can make money. It's yeah, like, absolutely. you know, supermarkets and organic yeah. food. It's not out of some ethical reason. No. But why do you think it is that suddenly we are seeing, and it's fantastic, I mean, so many books for kids, all of these different books, which are here are 100 women who change history, here are 100 women who are great because rebels. Because the world has finally woken up that they share 50% of the bloody population with women. I mean, what has taken people so long? That not only are women here, there, we've always been here, but more importantly, we've always been there doing stuff, you know? We've been part of the space race. Like Hidden Figures showed that they were, you know, doing the, the writing the code, they were doing the mathematics to get people into orbit in, in space, getting to the moon and back. It's just that, it's like they say, you know, history is, is written by those who won normally if it's a war. And it's the same, I think, with, with the women's history, because for centuries, history has been written by men. And finally, at last, if you notice that most of the stories of women's histories that are coming to the forefront have been written by women, mm. because we're interested. In. Obviously, it's us. And then when you find out that, that, yes, there have been women scientists for hundreds of years, there have been women astronomers, there have been women engineers, and in this case, you know, women who were qualified as astronauts in 1960 and 61 and never actually got the chance to go into space, it makes your eyebrows shoot up a bit and, and take notice. And the great thing is, is that people are taking notice, not just in, in this story, but other stories about women. Well, this is, I mean, before we get on to the, we, we will mainly talk about Wally. It's a great picture you can't be, and in some ways I'm almost glad she can't be here just because what you've created in this book is such a vivid picture. And I believe she will live up to this from all the footage I've actually seen of it. But I, at the end of the book, I had this kind of, this feeling of, of, of a sadness of a melancholy that I think the space race would have been so different had we had some female examples of astronauts. There's something which would, I think, have made that story a greater... The idea that Wally Funk might have been 
the first woman to stand on the moon. Mm. Somehow that does enlarge story. So much, and you'll know this, but so much of, of that particular period of history, particularly the late 50s, there was that imperative somehow seen, particularly by, by men who ran NASA, who all came from the military, that we must beat the Russians. And so they, it was, it well, was they Eisenhower. Had the they had the opportunity exactly. to, to beat the Russians. Eisenhower yeah. himself wrote the letter that said, we, we're not going to have an open casting for astronauts. We're only going to choose yeah. test pilots mm. because test pilots, they've already been trained. We have access to their medical records. Uh, they do that. So it was, there was. But it was all was... due to a scientist, effectively, <laughs> and that's what I quite like about it. Because if it hadn't been for Doctor Brilliant, now he's, he was known as Randy, which I think in America doesn't have quite the same connotations <laughs> as it has here. Doctor Randolph Randy Lovelace. I mean, Randy Lovelace. <laughs> I, I think he sounds like a porn star, but he was the most great man because he was a medical doctor, and it was as a result of a sort of scientist curiosity yep. because he'd done all the medical device all the medical tests for the mercury 7 male astronauts he wanted to see if women could do the same so it was actually all thanks to a scientist's brain and outlook that he tested first one woman a pilot called jerry cobb who not only did well but she got in like the top two percent of all the male astronaut tests so she was brilliant and then like scientists do you can't just take one result and then say, well, there you go, I've proved it. You have to have a larger sample and test rate. So they put out a call for other female test pilots to be tested. And Wally Funk was only, she was 21 when she saw it in, in Life magazine, saw a little, an article about Jerry, and she answered the call. And theoretically, <laughs> she was too young because the age range was supposed to be 25 to 40. And she was, she, when she took the test, she was 22. So her mum her had to sign her in <laughs> uh, uh, to, actually, um, to actually do the tests. So yeah, if it hadn't been for one man's vision and scientific curiosity and, and trying to prove, and sure enough, it proved that the, the women could do it and could go up into space. He was an amazing guy. You're absolutely right. About him being a scientist, before even that happened, he uh, was testing himself. He wanted to test the physiological um, constraints of high altitudes. And so went up in an aeroplane in a sort of homemade spacesuit, which is sort of cobbles together out of leather and bits and pieces, and jumped out of an aeroplane, and at that point had broken the world altitude record, having never jumped out of an aeroplane before to see what would happen. His spacesuit exploded, his glove came off, his hand froze, he came back to the ground unconscious, but survived and did all the checks. They go, well, this happened, this happened, this happened. He was an amazing guy, an absolute scientist brain. They, actually, they were all quite like that, because there's a, another guy, I don't know whether you've heard of him, called um, Colonel John's Stapp, and I think I do talk yeah, about him. Uh, he, um, he used to, basically, a lot of our modern seatbelt um, safety procedures are as a result of of him because he would strap himself on it. It's called a Martin Baker ejector seat or a daisy sled, which is like, it could be like a mile long effectively with uh, the, the vertical one, the ejector seat, it's like a fireman's pole, but much higher with explosives under the seat. And you would be shot up at really high speed and then suddenly stop. And it was known to, you know, if you weren't sat and sort of tensing yourself and pushing your head back in the right way, it would compress your spine. You know, it could cause really serious injuries. And he did it to himself. And I saw some footage, some amazing black and white footage of him, like, being really sort of whacked down this daisy sled. 
And it, it, the force was so bad, he's, he's done up to like 35 Gs or something yeah. like that. The, his whole of yeah, his this... eye sockets were bruised and the blood was all burst in the whites of his eyes. And um, it just sort of shows you, you know, that forefront of anything. You need those sort of lunatics in a way uh, to do it. And, uh, and, that's, and the women were like that really, because none of them knew with the Mercury 7 and, and the women, the Mercury 13, Nobody knew what was going to happen to you in space. So they sort of went overkill. You know, they didn't, no astronaut today has to do the same tests that they did. I mean, Wally had to swallow three foot of rubber hose. I mean, and, and it was to test gastric juices. And I said, so what, how did you do that? And she went, easy. I just went, go, 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 go. <laughs> And that was her attitude, it was just, and she said, she said, you know, if they, I did it, I just, if they wanted me to do it, I didn't, I didn't complain. And apparently the, the whole thing was, apparently, if you've seen that brilliant film and the, read the books, even better really, The Right Stuff, you know, by Tom Wolfe, apparently the, um, they did say uh, that the women complained less than the men. Well, this very, women did a just lot better. Just thought I'd throw that in there. They did a lot better. They did, the, most of them. Yeah. Well, were you, I mean, interesting you mentioned seatbelts because that's one of the things that we find throughout the book is, is Wally will not wear a seatbelt. And she, she jumps is, out she of a moving, out of moving car. Yeah. And, uh, but when you, can, can you tell us a little bit about the first time that you met her? How much did you know beforehand? Because you kind of went straight in, you're, you're making this documentary and suddenly there is this force before you. Um, what, in 1997? Yeah, the years? first time. Yeah, you... it was, she was dressed in a blue flight suit with a sort of American Stars and Stripes flag, flag sort of emblem patch on one arm and a NASA patch on the other. And I thought, my God, she looks like an astronaut. What's going on here? And so, and I realised, you know, this is, this is odd. Um, but that's Wally. She sort of dresses for what she is, which is a pilot, and she still flies every week. She still goes flying and she's taught over 3,000 people to fly over the years. But she was also dressed like an astronaut candidate, which is what she was and what she is, because she still wants to go up into space. And at first, I wasn't 100% sure I liked her, because, and I think that was slight British reserve, because um, even though I'm not terribly reserved, is that when somebody American comes up and you've never met them before and goes, flings their arms up in the air and goes, hey, how are you? You sort of think, sorry, do I know you? <laughs> and so, yeah, so I was a little bit, um, okay, okay. And I actually preferred Jerry Truhill, who was another member of the, the Mercury 13. Sadly, she, she died, um, I think, within the last year, I think. Um, I, I got on probably better with Jerry Truehill, um, because she was Texan and she was had a lot of them actually are very similar. They're all sl slightly tomboyish and rough and ready, and they've, they've got that you know steely will. And um, Jerry was given the ultimatum of by her husband of if you go and take those astronaut tests, it's either me or space. So she went and took the test. <laughs> and when she got back to her hometown, she was met at the airport by divorce papers. Really? Oh, yeah. They took a lot of risks. They did. Women, they, some of them lost their jobs. Lost their jobs, to rearranging their personal lives. Yeah, Wally was, I mean, Wally was, the, that front picture actually, which I love, and because they colorized it, it's actually from a, a black and white picture taken in 1960 of Wally in a flight suit 
um, in a pilot, you know, with a helmet by a T-33 trainer jet. And that's on um, Fort Sill military base in Oklahoma because that was the job she was doing. She was training um, members of the military to fly. And she was the first woman to, to, to do that there. And I quite like that picture because one of the reasons NASA gave for not sending, you know, not allowing women into the astronaut corps, even though there were all these women who were, had passed the test to do it, was they said, um, well, they don't have jet experience. But actually, at that time, women weren't allowed to fly jets. So, you know, ah, it makes me mad just thinking of it. But obviously, some of them did. And Wally, you know, what had, was learning to fly on a, on a jet, and quite a few of them. Um, used to be test pilots themselves, so they'd flown all manner of, yeah. of planes during that time. And for women to be test pilots back then, they had to be men. <laughs> yeah. About the kind of the desire to somehow belittle or the, the achievement, like Tereshkova, where you talk about in, in that book something which had remained as uh, supposed truth for 30 years yeah. of her existence, which was um, that basically she'd almost screwed up the mission, she did something wrong. Uh, yeah, they're very disparaging, not just Russians, but actually Americans. The flight director, Chris Kraft, who I met in 1997, I mean, he was pretty rude about everyone, really. He was really rude about Scott Carpenter, said he should never have flown. And he called Valentina Tereshkova a basket case. And there were a lot of criticisms by people within the industry, and you know, I've heard them over the years, that, oh, she wasn't very good, she didn't do a good job, she felt sick. And you just think, well, most astronauts feel sick, they get space sick. And in fact, what, while she was up there, um, she realized that um, she was basically, that the spacecraft was pointing in the wrong direction. And if they'd had deployed a, a maneuver for her to come back, instead of coming back to Earth, she would have actually gone out into space. So she would have died just all, at a higher orbit, just orbiting around the Earth until she died. And um, it was an engineer's fault. They'd done, made the wrong calculations. And she informed Mission Control in, in Russia and said, there's something wrong here. I, I'm pretty sure where, this is not supposed to happen. Could you check it? And they didn't sort of believe her at first. And then they did do the calculations and they found she was right. And she kept that secret for 30 years so as not to embarrass the Russian male engineer who had got it wrong. Probably because who knows what would have happened to that guy. But also then anecdotally, had, had that happened, it would have been, of course, oh, you see what happened because when you put women in yes, space. Yeah, I mean, probably, who had... knows, yeah. Did the you, Americans you... look quite closely at Tereshkova? Well, yeah, they knew when they were, uh, when the, they knew that, that Russia was um, going to put a, a woman into space. So they knew that when the Mercury 13 were undergoing their, their testing. Um, so they could have, and let's face it, they'd, it was at the time very competitive. The Russians had put Yuri Gagarin, first man in space. They, they'd beaten them each, each time. And then they beat them with Valentina Tereshkova with the first woman in space. So it was a sort of political mistake as well, you yeah. could say, even if, even if they just wanted to make a point, which effectively is what Russia did anyway, because after Valentina Tereshkova went up, they didn't send anybody up for about 20 years. And the only reason they sent that person up, which is Svetlana Savitskaya, was because they then heard 
that America was going to put the first woman in space, which is in the early 80s, it's Sally Ride. So they quickly rushed through <laughs> one of their lots so that they could then beat them again and she could do a spacewalk before, you know. So it was a real nana na 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 but not really egalitarian. It, she was, Valentina was just a token, which is really sad. Because like you said, Robin, you know, wouldn't the world have been different if for the last 50 odd years, we knew that both men and women had been in that very visible part of the space race, which, let's face it, is the astronauts. They get the glory, even though there are thousands of people beneath them that make it possible. I know you've got Dallas, because in, in, in the book at one point you talk about the fact that certain things were written about, uh, and if this young lady goes into space, she'll probably miss her heels. Yeah. She'll probably take her high heels into space. Of course she will, of course yeah. she will. Um, it's very much, I mean, this is actually Betty Skelton, who was um, another... Uh, not one of the Mercury 13, but another female aviator. This and is a cover, by the way, for those listening. Look magazine, what month should they go on eBay to find the... Uh, uh, it's got 20 21 pages on psychiatry yeah, the troubled, troubled science. science. <laughs> <laughs> well, 2nd of February, 1960. And here we have Betty Skelton parading around in one of the famous Mercury 7 silver spacesuits. And of course, when we think about the silver spacesuits and the Mercury 7, the whole thing, the whole culture was deemed and designed to look very macho. It was designed to look very male and very Buck Rogers. And, but they, and it was also fake because the Mercury 7 famous picture of them in silver suits, they just had DMs on, yeah. exactly like mine, but they'd spray painted them silver. Yeah. They weren't moon boots. But, but, but this is it, and this, it's actually quite interesting because look, look Magazine, which is, I guess it's the kind of equivalent of, not quite Hello, but it's a, probably a bit more high-brow than Hello. <laughs> hello for nerds. But, they, but it was all very, it was a bit sort of women in STEM washing of its age. And like, look, we've got women and we're going to do, but it's all, um, I'll try and show you some of, the, some, of the, some of the pictures of oh, Betty Skelton. The lady, the lady wants, wants to orbit. orbit. Oh, yeah. I love it. And we see her parading around doing all the tests with the Mercury, and here this she is. is here she is in the swimming pool. But there's a little bit I'd like to read if it's okay oh, like with this. you. And yeah. it's there. What, what, the conclusion at the end of this little puff piece about women in space, 1960. What the first girl in space will be like. And this is Look Magazine's conclusions. And actually, when you look at the magazine as a whole, not just this particular article, you really get a sense of, of the sort of rigid gender roles, 1960s middle America at the time. It's all adverts for the Marlboro man. It's all women in the kitchen. It's all men doing proper work. But this is and what the- Raisin toast. Raisin toast. <laughs> Wakes up sleepy eyes with a taste surprise. It looks good, actually. It looks I, nice. I, like I know, I'm, I'm liking that. But what the first girl in space will be like, <clears throat> our first girl in space will probably be will probably be a flat-chested, lightweight, under 35 years of age and married. Well, that's that got an audible gasp from front row. <laughs> Though not an outstanding athlete, she will have extraordinarily precise coordination. She'll be a pilot. Her interests will tend towards swimming and skiing rather than the more ma muscular sports like wrestling. <laughs> Was there a wrestling in space? There's probably That's a bit of wrestling so in space. Funny. She will adjust well to isolation and be able to hibernate, but also snap into immediate alertness. Her personality will both soothe and stimulate others on her space team. So there you go. That's great. That actually, is, um, it's interesting they say skiing because Wally um, was actually in contention to be um, an Olympic skier. Oh, there you go. Yeah, maybe, well, maybe this, the yeah, yeah, that is interesting. And the isolation as it happens as well. The um, the isolation test is one of the later tests for the for the Mercury 7 and for the 
for the women. And um, Space Cowboys. Oh, love That's it. That's what the astronauts were about. You know, the I whole idea it. of the astronaut was basically that. I think. Yeah. And um, the isolation test, Wally actually beat John Glenn and all the, the men because she stayed in a, an isolation tank for 10 hours and 35 minutes. It was basically them who said, you've got to come out now, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? It was just like, yeah. which, which is really... I just can't imagine her silent for 10 hours and 35 minutes. <laughs> because when we were um, travelling, because she came over to um, Europe um, and uh, for, for the radio programmes, because we did some, we went to the European Space Agency and uh, she stayed at my house for, for a bit. And we got the Eurostar, first of all, over to Cologne, where the um, Astronaut Training Centre is. And she was asking me so many questions that she was driving me nuts, because I just wanted to sit there and just relax. That I, start, I got my phone out and put it on stopwatch. And during that journey, which was, I don't know, two or three hours, she was quiet for two minutes and 15 seconds. <laughs> and so the thought of her being quiet for 10 hours and 35 minutes was just extraordinary. I just got nothing. What do you, I mean, you, you've, you've met, uh, you know, male astronauts, female astronauts. Of that period of time in the 1960s, um, what, do you, what do you see different in the psychological makeup? Because I certainly know, I mean, I think of things like journalism, where whenever I've met people who were in Fleet Street in the 70s, if you were a female journalist, you had to be twice as tough. You had to be able to out-drink all of these kind of, you know, rosette-faced men. You know, you had to. So how, so I just wonder what difference you might see between, you know, the kind of people like Rusty Schweikart, for instance, or, uh, and those who are part of the Mercury Actually, I see team. more of a difference, actually, between NASA and ESA. Actually, the difference between them is I find that NASA astronauts are on message. Uh, ESA astronauts um, are a bit more opinionated and, and quite, you know, if they don't agree with something, they'll say it. And at the first time you, uh, that happened, I thought, oh, you know, they've said that. And, and you see the PR person behind them just shrug as if to say, oh, well, you know, <laughs> there, they, there they go again. But definitely there is, having met Buzz Aldrin a few times, he's a little bit scary. You know, he's, um, he growls. Um, it's, I think today's astronauts have to be more, um, even more superhuman. And you have to be a much better linguist mm. because like the European Space Agency astronauts at the moment are learning Chinese. So it's not enough to just do Russian or, uh, and English. And with the future, with returning to the moon and commercial space flight, you know, the language, we cannot assume now that if there is, and fingers crossed there will be a lunar base at some stage in the future, we cannot assume that the first language is going to be English. It could be, in, you know, it could be one of the Indian languages, it could be Chinese, it, Mandarin or Cantonese or what have you. So I think it's, it requires, I mean, they were tough, you're right, they were tough back then, and, and, and they were the the best of their kind in terms of physical ability and bravery and, and test pilots. But nowadays you have to have that and a degree and preferably a PhD yes. and speak five languages and go caving and do, you know, and be able to skydive and, you know, rustle up a cupcake. You know, it's just... Uh, the job description has changed. I remember the very first NASA document from 60 years ago when they actually clearly defined the role of the astronauts. Point one was to stay alive. <laughs> point, point two was to operate machinery. Point three was to do science. And, and so yeah. it's a very small gene pool. Obviously, the Mercury capsule held one person, the Gemini, two people, 
followed three people. And then suddenly we got into the shuttle, which had seven seats. So the kind of demographic and the diversity of people could suddenly change a bit more. And even more so now, but astronauts, God, they've got to be PR people. They've got to be television presenters. They've got to understand social media. All this yeah. kind of stuff as much as anything else. I mean, and, and they weren't, like you say, they weren't as prepared for the media either. No. Which is why so many of the early astronauts, the Apollo ones, all went a bit doolally afterwards. You know, some of them found God. Some of them, um, oh, you know, became alcoholics or depressives, or in some cases, all three. You know, it, it's. And I think now they're a little bit more. They know what's expected of them, particularly when it's. Uh, it, you know, it might be three, four, five years before you fly after after qualifying. And particularly now with there being no space shuttle, you can't take a big group effectively of astronauts at once. So your waiting list has got longer and longer. So you'd have to do more of that, the, the PR stuff, don't you? Exactly, um, being an astronaut. I mean, the poor guys who got who came back down to Earth on that Soyuz incident last week, <laughs> you know, are they going to miss the rotation? Because uh, the American astronaut, he hasn't flown, and he's not necessarily going to be assigned um, to another flight. I don't know. That's an interesting question, actually. You know, which would be, you'd be well set up, you'd, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, you'd be absolutely. Although I think with. technically, didn't they go into space? They passed the Kármán line. Oh, God, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. But this, it's interesting, as you mentioned Buzz Aldrin, but I wondered also between, you know, from both of these perspectives, is there, though, a difference between those astronauts who have stood on the moon? Because there's other people like Rusty Schweikart, who, you know, I mentioned him oh, there, who, who, uh, uh, who he seemed very normal, and his wife, and they were just great, and they spent a lot of time, most, most of their career in politics and stuff. Um, but those who've been on the moon, there's something about yes. that distance, that sense of, the, you know, the only human beings that have stood on a natural object which is not on the planet Earth. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that yeah. does seem to, that perspective, that distance. Yeah, and I think effects. it's so weird. The ISS is basically, actually, its distance away is a little bit more than Manchester to London. Mm. Yeah. You know, whereas the moon, and then that moment of landing and a different, and I wonder if that But actually, the, 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 in a way, the astronauts who did the orbiting and didn't actually land on the lunar surface, that, they're the ones that are, probably, are really in, interesting to talk to because obviously when they're on the far side of the moon there's no communication think of that how alone you are with that view they uh, always say it, it's just incredible and yet as you say people were not that in we're more interested in who who walked on the moon i think that's something that we're more fascinated by i mean i'm talking to al warden who was the apollo 15 oh, command module pilot who did that he was uh, in lunar orbit whilst dave scott and um Jim Irwin were on the lunar surface. And the question we all want to ask, what's it like to be the world's loneliest person? To be, to hold up your thumb and block out planet Earth and everyone. And he's like, I was too busy, you know? I was making maps, I was doing this, I, was, I didn't even think about it. You know, I looked up at the moon, I went, yeah, the map makers got it pretty much right. Yeah, that's how I remember the, uh, my globe. You know, and then went back, but they didn't really, have, from what I gathered, they didn't really have. We want them to say, "Yes, I had this kind of transcendental." Well, it does seem the few of them they, they do go. I have reminded on other things. You're right. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a, a very, but that, yeah. that's um, in fact Richard Wiseman's got a book coming out next year, which sounds very interesting. Where he's actually just interviewed all the people with Capcom, who were the person on the ground with the direct, you know, including Charlie Duke was Apollo oh, 11, yeah. wasn't he? He was, who then of course lovely. did land on the moon as well. Yeah. But that, you know, I was amazed. No one's ever done a book which is basically what goes through the mind of the person who is the most direct link between what could well have been an utter disaster and the pressure on that. Oh, you've got to go in a minute, Sue, and so I oh, want yes. to ask you a couple Where more things going? about... Uh... I've got to go to Glasgow. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is... Now, Wally, a couple of things... That I've got. 
her level of preparation and thought, there is a beautiful story to tell about the first time that she does that test where you have to go, you know, round and round the G-force thing, that she had basically got her mum's girdle and <laughs> she knew that you didn't, if you were a pilot, you had, I believe, if, if, if this right, you had a this thing that you'd really be able to strap yourself into underneath the... Uh, yeah, a, underneath pres the a pressure suit. suit. And so she made her own out of bits of bra and girdle. That's right. <laughs> there was um, a corset, it looked like a sort of 1950s style, it was her mother's corset and it was called a merry widow girdle and so she got her mother she always talks i got my mother's merry widow um and this girdle put it on put it strapped it in real tight so that she thought it would help her with the pressurization to try and make her own pressurized flight flight suit but to be honest the fact that she um she used to do aerobatics so you can pull when you do a sort of loop the loop and what have you you can pull up to six g's there well you're actually only when you're going to the shuttle, it's only uh, from the shuttle. If you the shuttle to the spa uh, space station was only three Gs actually, so um, she was more than than qualified. But yeah, you're right. I sort of love the fact that she she would and will do anything to get into space, which is why she's bought a ticket for two hundred thousand dollars. It's gone up since she bought it, by the way. If you're thinking of buying one, um, to go with um, on board Spaceship Two with Virgin Galactic. And it's great to hear that they've had quite a few successful powered flights already this year. They've just announced they've got another couple planned by the end of the year. So it is actually for the first time, considering she's been waiting over 50 years to go into space, for the first time it could be next year, 50th anniversary of the moon landings, that they take passengers into space and Wally is there waiting with their ticket to go up. Did you get any sense... I mean what do you think it is those people people aren't worried that this this utter ambition this it, it's never gone away you know there she was in some ways you might sense that the fact to be rejected you know when all of that those 13 people that that eventually go well i'll, I'll give up on this and i'm going to do so i'm going to mountaineer in a row this this burning desire to say, i just i want to get out of our atmosphere yeah. and i just want to look back at the planet earth well wally is all about flying you know her whole career has been in aviation she's been a trailblazer because of that being the first woman air crash investigator in the states for instance i mean she's done so many firsts when you're told with that level of ambition and ability if you're told well yeah you're good enough but we're not letting you because you're a woman go on i i'd want to prove them wrong wouldn't you how angry was she i mean obviously there was a you know there was, what she's she's she just but do at the, anger. at the time when they say, okay, you're not going to be going to Pensacola to do the yeah. one she test. she just thought, well, you know, the she thought it was a good old boys network, and I have asked her about it several times. She just said, well, I threw it a fish, and instead of getting angry, she took all as many other tests as she could all around the states. She was the only woman to do that. She went all around and found out all the tests that she could do and did them on her own steam and through connections. So. It's a beautiful thing, though, just that, you, that, that never falling out of love with, 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 with that, that ambition, that idea. And then there's, there's, also, there's a lot of lovely other things in the book as well. She bought the Queen Mum's old Rolls Royce. And uh, when one day she was going to do an air crash investigation, she drove there in the Rolls Royce. And eventually, they were told, could, could you use the company car next time? Yeah. Just a wrong. But that, that kind of, and, and the gregarious nature. I mean, you're right, when, when she came to stay with you and ended yeah. up going to uh, one of your kids, like a, a concert and stuff. Yeah. And the fact that she does seem to have. She just, it's the, I call it the Wally effect. You know, if she was to walk through the door now she uh, say she would fling her arms up in the air and say hello and you just can't help it she's she's larger than life and that was sort of why i didn't want to write a traditional biography and i wanted to do it more as 
knowing her and our friendship and our trip because otherwise I felt you'd lose all the wooliness if I just said she was born and blah 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 you know I wanted to tell people about the fact that she walks you know gets out of moving cars and won't put a bloody seatbelt on I wanted all that bit in and then she said the constant questioning sorry oh, yeah. admin interruption yeah. What? Sue has to go. Sue? Oh, I have, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, well, thank on you so much. Galactic oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you um, so much for having me on the Oh, God, you're on the Virgin. Sue is now going to discover that one of the reasons Virgin Galactic is doing so well is not merely the tax avoidance of the person who runs the company, but also the amount of cutbacks they've done on the line she's about to use. So, I wonder um, what G of Virgin Train West Coast pulls when it pulls out of the station. Yeah. Not 3G pulls. Yeah, it's it's just stays stagnant in Oxham exactly. home for two hours. Exactly. So, um... Dallas, we've talked about this before because you've been on the show before. But, yeah. but this, your your obsession with uh, space travel and your do you what do you see in yourself? Is that, you know, would would you do you believe you would have been the kind of person that could have gone into no. space, or are you like many of us, someone who no. loves watching the adventure? But um, I I would be the worst person in space. I can, I can actually prove that categorically. I think I've done all the tests and I'm rubbish at all of them. Are you? So, yeah. Well, I'm just on every level. I mean, I'm psychologically unfit for space travel. Physically, I'm the wrong age. Everything is everything is bad. Why are you psychologically unfit then? What particular uh, just, tests? Just, you just I, massive. I should know before yeah, I sit further away from you. Massive, <laughs> just massive neurosis, self doubts. Uh, oh, you know all the kind of standards but that's middle age fascinating stuff. thing isn't it again with astronauts which is <clears throat> the just the things seem to the relaxed well, nature i mean I, I, I remember asking chris hafford i said when you've had to be so calm yeah when you're captain the iss don't you sometimes just get back to earth and suddenly someone's brought the wrong jam and you go <laughs> apricot jam and that was all that like, six months of it and he said no, you yeah. know, it's just kind of <laughs> exactly. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I'm funny. I, would, I did a talk with um, Tim Peake, and you know, when you do PowerPoint presentations, and they never work, and somehow we've we've come this far, and no one's cracked how to do a PowerPoint. There's always like ten PhDs around the computer, and all, there's always someone saying this normally doesn't happen. Anyway, that was going. We were literally just about to go on stage on the Albert at the Albert Hall, and and it was really interesting watching Tim because suddenly Tim just approached the computer, and everyone parted, and he went into astronaut mode. And he was like, let's work the problem, people. He didn't do it like that because he's not American. That was somebody else. But he, th th just the thing about astronauts, they just, if there's a problem, they just go through the kind of mental checklist where I, I flap. You know, about, like I went out to Sainsbury's to buy jam and I bought yeah. space suit. There's that kind of thing. An astronaut wouldn't do that. Um, and your what, what about books from around the yeah. time that the space race was really first? I mean, there's one called Into Orbit, which is a very good one, which I'm sure you've got, which is each no, chapter is a different member of, uh, for instance, Mercury, so, you know, all yes. of that kind of t talking about their experience. And it's quite interesting because at that point, each chapter that's being written is as these ideas are developing and is, is before human yeah. beings have stood on the moon. Are there any ones that particularly... Uh, yeah, the one I really like, um, Arthur C. Clarke's Dream of Space is terrific and it's kind of early early rocketry obviously he worked a lot with Werner von Braun and, and, and that whole group um, actually a lot of the the early Disney stuff and the von Braun stuff is really really interesting Werner von Braun Werner von Braun and, and Walt Disney worked very very closely together in that period really popular popularizing the idea of space and the idea of the, the astronaut as this new breed of superhero and they made these films together they made a film called Man in Space 
which is the sort of classic, I can't remember, I think 1957, I think it was. Um, so yeah, I love all that. Uh, the, just the, the moments just before we launched, just before we went into space, those particular books. And then of course, later on, I like the kind of, the slightly weirder books. Have you come across Alternative 3? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, when it gets really, you know, people being abducted to, to secret moon bases and all that kind of stuff, I, I, I quite like as well. You've mentioned Werner von Braun. Yes. In, in terms of ethically, what are your, there's a great book, well, by the way, if yeah. you don't know it, there's Tom Bauer, who's gone on to mainly be the biographer of, of, of celebrities, but uh, his first, I think it's his first book, is if you don't, I, I apologise if you'll know about this, but Paperclip Conspiracy was very simple. Uh, when the Russians and the West were feuding over who's going to get the best Nazi scientists, one of the things they would do is uh, the Americans would place a paperclip on documents which had the res resume of various different Nazi scientists, and if the paperclip was on as it was typed out, you would just add the word not to an ardent Nazi. That was a simple, not an ardent Nazi. And, um, you know, Werner von Braun ends up becoming this kind of, you know, Walt Disney celebrity, he's yeah. on all these things. And there will have been many people who died in experiments that were done under... More people Reich. died making the V2 yeah. in terms of the labour force in terms of building that rocket than ever were killed in London as far as so, I know. So it's, that, yeah. I, I'm, I'm always interested in, in the quandary of, well it's been done now, so should we use it for something good well, or it. are we... It's really, it's really tough and certainly at the time everyone in America just slightly conveniently forgot the fact that Werner von Braun was a Nazi and was, was, was part of the German rocket, Nazi rocket programme. I mean the V2, the, the rocket that they built, was that was you know, all the half the half the German scientists went to the Soviet Union, half of them went to America. But it was those V2s that were captured that went to the White Sands missile base in America that became part of the American rocket program that eventually set people into space. Uh, thank you. Sue's book is great. It's really it, it's basically three road trips. Is her going is off great. and uh, just trying to wrangle uh, Wally? And and as I said, it's just she's such a vivid individual. It's a great pity that she's. I, I hope she comes over to the UK another time. We can, over next year. Uh, she's she's fantastic. If you see that she's going to talk anyway, go and go go and see it. Um, uh, there's a, there's an intro, there's a band mentioned in this who actually uh, had Wally Funk is in, in the title That's of their a great album. name for and I can, Yeah, Funk. and I can't remember the but the, the sad thing is you read it and it turns out that actually the album contains very few songs about Wally Funk. It mainly has they, they are all called songs called things like Anal Intruder or Penetrating Dragon, you know. And they just like That's a pity. Oh, there was a, there's an ash one of the one of the Mercury tests that the astronauts had to take was called Riding the Steel Eel, which was an anal insertion of a of a prostate. Examiner, uh, examination. There you go. Just while, no, while you were just talking about anal intrusion, I just thought throw that into the mix. Well, sorry. Great film, the John 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 Sayles movie, uh, Passion Fish. I don't know if you've ever seen John Sayles, much underrated director. Yeah, well, yeah. And there's a bit where an actress is just sitting there in her garden, and she talks about when she gave up acting after uh, she had to read a line in a B movie over and over again. I never expected the anal probe. I never expected the anal probe. I never expected the anal probe. So I retired. <laughs> and the um, so uh, what is it about anal probes and UFO abductions? By the way? I know all the kind of main classic abductions. Yeah, Jung's work on UFOs <laughs> is very different to Freudian acceptance of yes. possibilities of uh, you would UFOs. have read you would have read Jung's book on UFOs. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's the uh, album you're thinking of, by the way, is called "The Flight of Wally Funk" by Spiderbait, and the lead single is "Ass Hugging." Ass oh, <laughs> Hugging Ants, yeah. 
Um, so, thanks very much for coming down to this. Okay. And uh, I was thanking them, not you. Oh, the, um, <laughs> I will thank no, you, you in a thank... minute. But no, 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 I'm standing in front. God, I'll tell you what, even though you don't do so much acting, that narcissism remains. The, um, <laughs> I know 14 times, you can have a go on that later if you want. Can we talk um, the, uh, he brought 14 times into the Skeptic Conference. <laughs> Imagine if I brought in Nexus. I love 14 times. Me too. Uh, 14 times. Do any of you read 14 times? Yeah. It's, it's a lot. I think people think it's kind of new agey, but it's generally not. It makes some, you know, mistakes every now and again. But overall, it does just go, it's a weird thing that happened, isn't it? <laughs> you know, and it's kind of fun. It used to be called The News. I've got the the first 50 uh, copies of the 14 times I still have in the box. Which I'm what were you sent to Sainsbury's to get that day? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, what, it was on the way. Funnily enough, it was on the way to Sainsbury's at the Angel. And just, uh, what's that street called? It used to be a second-hand bookshop. And I was oh, walking yeah. past. And I saw all these first editions of the 14 times. And it was right when that, you mentioned Ken Campbell. And it was right when I was doing the walk with Ken Campbell. And, of course, I rushed in and bought all, spent all the... All the money on the uh, 14 times and didn't I still didn't go to Sainsbury's. Yeah, reading with energy and yeah. yet also starving. Um, <laughs> so thank you very much for, for you coming down and for QED Con and for uh, Trent coming up to produce this. Thank you very much to Dallas and thank you very much to Sue. Uh, I'm going to go up now. You, I think your book's upstairs. If anyone wants to get a signed copy of the book that I've just done, which is kind of about imagination and birth and how we become who we become and then how we manage to survive it with the uh, congratulations maybe one day I, I hope I sell some in the I, I think it's going all right I don't know I just don't really know it's crazy I went nearly insane I actually became more insane than the insanity that led to the book writing the book it was uh, I remember the insanity of writing yeah, the book yeah, I sort of, when I, I, sort of yeah. I didn't touch it literally that would be terrible yeah, but, but it, it but does become sorts. a palpable insanity, yeah. doesn't it, pretty much. So thank you very much. I'll be upstairs. The, uh, the book, so, so will Dallas. And uh, I, I'm going to find out what we found out about Flat Earth now as well. How, what do you mean? Uh, Michael Marshall's just been doing his... Oh, he, can I talk to you about Flat Earth? We, yeah, we do whole, Because I, I went to the one in Birmingham. I went to the Flat Earth convention. And if you'd like to hear that, tune in next week. <laughs> the, uh, we do that. Yes, yeah. it was it was amazing, and I'm going to go to the one in Denver. That was probably month. the one that that because uh, because Marsha was saying one of the things is that you see a lot of these people on YouTube who have their flat Earth channels, and you can see that they're very troubled people because they'll always start off with like, "Hi everyone, thanks very much for tuning in. It's not been a great week." Anyway, so the reason the Earth is flat is that you go, "Oh, okay, I see, I see where this comes from." Um, anyway, thank you very much. Yeah, we do. We talk about that properly. Yes, that's a good thing to do. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much to our Patreon supporters. Do jump onto Apple Podcasts and uh, leave us a review. And we will be back next week with another new episode which will be the one we recorded live at the London Podcast Festival with uh, Robin and Josie co-hosting next week. Until then, have a great week. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robin's Book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.